Hello, milkers. Welcome back to another episode. This week's beer is called Shady Neighbor, and this is brought to us by the good people of Owen Valley Winery of Spencer, Indiana. Shady Neighbor is a wonderful rendition of a hard cider mixed with a shandy, and it is absolutely amazing. It tastes like apple lemonade, and I absolutely was a I was an absolute fan of this beer. It has an ABV of 5%, and you can only get it at Owen Valley Winery, so go check out Owen Valley Winery today. It was a wonderful experience, wonderful food. They have a new cheesecake every week, everybody. Every week, a new cheesecake. The Nutella was absolutely to die for. So go check them out, Owen Valley Winery in Spencer, Indiana. This, get, this has a Comcast rating of 5 out of 5. As always, please drink responsibly. And if you like the podcast and support what we do, please go and check out our merch store at thecomcast.com. We have everything you could ever need. And if you ever want to suggest a merch item, please feel free to reach out to us on, on our social media. Or please feel free to put a comment in the, uh, the Comcast Facebook, bro- Facebook group. And that is just at the Comcast. Love you guys so much. Now let's get into the episode for another reading of the Gospel of the Flying Spaghetti Monster. Hey everybody, we are minus Ryan this week, so I have brought Cheyenne into this monstrosity of fallacy and fact. I don't know, I kind of miss how Ryan says it. He goes, what's up everybody? I'm your motherfucking gracious host this week. Motherfucking, motherfucking, motherfucker. It's me, Shiny Times, and we're in the studio with your secondary host, Cody. Yeah, secondary host. That's how I feel it should be said. Now, dairy, something you shouldn't have. No, which I don't. So I have walnut milk in my coffee instead. Walnut milk. Milked walnuts, everybody. You ever try to milk walnut? I've tried to milk a pig before. Oh, good luck with that one. Didn't work out. Actually, I've milked a pig before. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Pig milk, the best. The elixir of life, some might say. Might even be. Right next to the, uh, combined with the Shady Neighbor from Owen Valley Winery. Actually, Um, don't mix pig milk with the Shady Neighbor. (laughs) Apple cider pig milk, uh, perfect. (laughs) Apple cider pig milk. Perfect. I really did enjoy Owen Valley Winery, though. It was was awesome. It was good. Uh, That's why I had to review the Shady Neighbor on there. Because it's a hard cider, it's still brewed. I didn't feel right reviewing one of their wines, even though the persimmon bold that was aged in the... I talked about this last week, in, aged in the Buffalo Trace whiskey barrels. Oh, shit. That was so good. Um, but yeah, let's go ahead and jump right into it. Um, and let's continue where we left off two episodes ago with the Gospel of the Flying Spaghetti Monster. Woo! Woohoo. Woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> I've prepared myself to read for the next hour, so... That's all we do for the next hour? I Yes, I am going to read to you. Jeez. I know. <clears throat> So starting where we left off, the spaghetti deity. While I while I have essentially decimated the theory of evolution throughout these pages, it is important to state that a great deal of credible evolutionary evidence does exist. No one can dispute the fossil record, which shows a clear and gradual transformation of species over time. 
albeit with frustrating gaps, and I ask you, who could have put them there? And there is no and and there do indeed appear to be selective forces at work in the world. For instance, when drunks walk out onto the road and they are hit by cars. Also, George W. Bush bears a striking resemblance to a chimpanzee. We are not saying that evolution can't exist, only that it is guided by his noodly appendage. And and our spaghetti deity is extremely modest. For some reason, we, he went through a great deal of trouble to make us believe that evolution is true, ma- masking the prominent role of pirates in our origins. Pirates! <laughs> Making monkeys seem more important than they really are, generally keeping behind the scenes and out of the spotlight. In spite of his low profile, though, let, let no one doubt that the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster is not only a groundbreaking religion, but is also supported by hard science, making it probably the most unquestionable true theory ever put forth in the history of mankind. To make my point, I will turn to the modern-day problem of global warming. Pirates, as you know, are his chosen people. Yet, their numbers have been shrinking ever since the 1800s. Consequently, we find that global warming, earthquakes, hurricanes, and other natural disasters are a direct result of the shrinking number of pirates. To illustrate this fact, I have included the following well-known graph from a recent study, and it has a picture of global average temperature uh, in the latitude and in the longitude, number of pirates have greatly decreased. So what you're saying is we have a lack of pirates in the world. And that is the whole reason why global warming, that's the reason why pirates exist or don't exist anymore. Because global of global warming, warming. Is killing our pirates. I know that when you all you drink is grog, you get severely dehydrated. You just you can't go on. As you can see, there is a statistically significant inverse relationship between pirates and a global temperature. But of course, not all correlations are casual. For example, take a look at this seeming uh, correlation regarding ID proponents, which is intelligent intelligent design. It would appear that the people behind intelligent design have a lower intelligence uh, quotient than the general population, and a significant lower IQ than scientists who overwhelmingly reject the idea of intelligent design. Henderson, 2005. I, for one, tend to believe... This is the, he said that quote in 2005. <laughs> I, for one, tend to believe this is, uh, this is to be merely a strange coincidence and that intentional, des- or sorry, intelligent design believers are not necessarily as trigger. Sorry, everybody, I forgot to start the episode off. This is a big, big, big trigger warning. If you are offended in any way, I am reading this book word for word. So do not come at me or the podcast because this is a book that you can buy that I did not I, I did not intentionally read this book because of these trigger warning words. I just thought it would be entertaining for everybody. Also, we're reading it because this is what you guys voted for. Exactly. If you don't like it, you should have voted elsewhere. So, or vote again. What is it, like a month from now are you getting rid of the book? Uh, until we finish it. Okay, well, vote again after you finish the book if you don't like it. Exactly. So, trigger warning, say it again. Let's move on. <clears throat> uh, where was I? 
You were getting a trigger Oh, here we go. So I, for one, tend to believe this is to be merely a strange coincidence and that intelligent design believers are not as necessarily as retarded as the data would suggest. It is entirely likely that the Flying Spaghetti Monster put this coincidence in place in order to confuse us further as to our true origins we may never know. FSM versus Other Religions A conversation about intelligent design proponents, no matter how brief and... uh, Specious? Spacious? Specious? Species inevitably leads us to a discussion about God and religion. It is important to uh, state up front that the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster is a peaceful religion, probably the most peaceful of them all. But can you can we pro, can we prove that? In order to explore our proposition, let us look at religion and violence throughout history, particularly with regard to war and death. Christianity appears to be the Rambo of religions, with the Crusades, the Inquisition, various bloody rebellions, the conquistadors, the list seems nearly endless. Suffice to say that when Jesus Christ stated in his bewitching and Yoda-like manner, but those enemies which would not, uh, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. Luke 19.27 People took him pretty literally. The Jews, who managed to knock off Jesus, if you believe some people, and the Muslims haven't done so well for themselves either, and are still duking it out. We even find Buddhists fighting in China. So, glossing over the evidence, we find that religion can be quite scary and violent. On the other hand, there's absolutely no evidence of any deaths from FSMism, which seems to imply that it has the lowest death rate. And if that is true, then this is strong evidence that FSMism is the most peaceful religion. And they've only existed for about a decade or so. So, now take a look. That's just a little side note from me. Now take a look at how much criticism of Christianity, Islam... Judaism and the other religion and other and the other religions there is people can't seem to decide on the simple things like which holy book to follow let alone whether any of it is true there are arguments between friends and countries tens of thousands of books on the various religions all poking holes gibbering about which god to worship hinduism jabbering about which ancient prophet's cousin to explore islam it's a mess and yet we find that exactly, um, and yet we find that exactly, count them, zero books have been written to poke holes in the, ther- in the theory of the flying spaghetti monster. There isn't any academic criticism, only academic support. And academics love to argue about everything. All this we take as evidence that FSMism is probably true. Finally, we find that the religions tend to put a lot of stock in dogma. Which is the way of which is a way of saying they are correct beyond all doubt. Even the most devout of the Pasifarians will scratch their heads and nervously readjust their eye patches as this at this idea. Dogma implies dogma implies an absolute belief in something, and in order for people to have an absolute belief in anything, they basically have to fucking they basically have to be fucking omni- omniscient. 
Omniscient? Omniscient, sorry. Which would be cool, but would probably also make you a little uncomfortable around other people. We have a different approach. FSM believers reject dogma, which is not to say that we don't believe that we are right. Obviously we do. We simply reserve the right to change our beliefs based on new evidence or greater understanding of old evidence. Our rejection of dogma is so strong that we leave open the possibility that there is no flying spaghetti monster at all. So in a sense, you could say that we're extremely open-minded. We could change our minds someday. All we ask is proof of not uh, of his non-existence. And the fossil record is loaded with evidence of his existence. You just have to know where to look. And they have a picture of um, fossilized fish with uh, a picture of the FSM pirate flag, which is a fish with an eye patch. <laughs> they basically just photoshopped it on this picture. And then here's another letter... So we can just skip over that. Examples of intelligent design. Uh, unless I just skip something. Nope. Examples of t intelligent design. The Dodo, number one. Portuguese sailors who marveled at this bird's trusting and docile nature gave it the name Dodo, meaning simpleton. Unfortunately, the Dodo was unable to compare in a rapidly changing environment, possibly caused by an early... Abor aboriginal dot com boom and the bird soon went away uh, went the way of the Portuguese sailor the passenger pigeon number two once once the most populous bird in North America the passenger pigeons demise can be tracked back to the early 1900s and McDonald's highly popular but short-lived McPigeon sandwich the Irish elk number three Neither exclusively Irish nor an elk, it was a very large deer. The male of this species attracted mates based on the size of its antlers. The larger the antlers, the more attractive the male. As the selective pressures for a nice rack increased, the head of the male grew so overburdened that the males began to fall easy prey to the large predators, saber-toothed tigers, Germans, etc., that uh, that were moving into Northern Europe at the time, all of the less Im impressive males just drank themselves to death. The llama, number four. The typical llama is unable to produce milk or eggs, and many people can't even spell its name. Number five, the appendix. Might once have been, uh, might once have had value, but is now completely useless. This includes its presence in book form. No one really knows why it remains, although some have been found to hold gold coins. Number six, religious well, or warfare. Religious warfare. Someone has described religious warfare as killing people over who has the best uh, invisible friend. We tend to agree. Number seven, disco. Scientists are still split on this dance craze, but the FSM doesn't like it, so it goes on the list. Number eight, the Mars... Mar Macarena? Oh, sorry. <laughs> the Macarena? <laughs> Number eight, the Macarena. True fact, invented by a guy named Retardo. Number nine, Jar Jar Binks. Hesa, uh, he's a just stupid. Number 10, the duck-billed platypus. 
Question, what creator combines a duck with a muskrat? Answer, not an intelligent one. <laughs> FSM versus Intelligent Design and Unlikely Alliance. The Controversy. Peer Review. People are playing politics with science. Supporters of intelligent, uh, or of intelligent Design, or ID, have been targeted education uh, officials. Or, sorry have been targeting education officials and public policymakers in a blatant attempt to have their views taught to our nation's students as science, quote-unquote, because 99% of the scientific community supports the theory of evolution, uh, ostensibility rejecting intelligent design in the process. We find intelligent design proponents arguing that their beliefs should be taken directly to the public, thus letting disoriented high school biology students decide the issue once and for all. See chart below. This contrasts significantly with uh, conventional scientific methods where researchers are required to submit their work for review by fellow scientists in their particular field as, process known as, as a process known as peer review. Such a system serves to weed out unacceptable theories, thus keeping science pure and permanently safe from controversy. But ask yourself this question, while peer review sounds like a good idea, is turning to one's peers for their opinions not the wrong way to go? It is not the same as a woman asking her boyfriend, do I look fat in this blouse, dress, parka, regardless of the item of clothing being worn. And here's a nationwide poll of a cross-section of average High school biology students, what is your opinion of evolution? 7% said cool, 8% said awesome, 14% said stupid, 8% said is that a new is that a new band, 62% said didn't have a number two pencil, and 1% said asleep. The answer is a resounding no. Uh, oh, sorry, no, you look great. In 99.99% of all test cases, the lone 0.01% of the yeses coming from either idiots, assholes, or male high school students who may or may not be using the colloquialism fat. Colloquialism. Colloquialism fat. Thanks for correcting me. You're welcome. As a consequence. As a consequence. <laughs> as a consequence. That, that last one fucked me up on that one. <laughs> As a consequence, we argue that the highly secretive peer review system is unfairly hand hardwired to reinforce the limited viewpoints of scientists and their close friends. The belief that scientists don't have any friends is a misapprehension. They like to hang out with other scientists and sometimes computer programmers and talk about themselves. If the scientists had it their way, we wouldn't be discussing intelligent design at all today. In fact, you'd have to go all the way back to the Salem Witch Trials before you'd find such close-mindedness and raw hatred for other people's views. See The Crucible of 20th Century Fox 1996, in which Winona Ryder accuses several girls of practicing Satan's, uh, or pra sorry, practicing Satan's magic in ye old shop in an effort to mask her own shoplifting. But brave school board members, nearly all of whom have no scientific background and in some cases very little education, have declared the current system to be unfair, which the courage of witches, uh, with the courage of witches, 
They have dared to step forward and redefine science, and we of the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster have decided to stand by them. And so we throw our hats into the ring. We have uncovered remarkable evidence suggesting that the Flying Spaghetti Monster is behind the theory of intelligent design, deftly uh, manipulating the, uh, the debate with his noodly appendage. I just can't get over everything that everything that this deity touches is with his noodly appendage. <laughs> Ooh, he's got the noodle. <sighs> You'd understand if you were a real pastafarian. Next chapter. If not him, then who? If we take the intelligent design proponents at their word that intelligent design is not religious in nature, but simply a scientific alternative to evolution then the religious background of the proponents of intelligent design should closely mirror that of the general public. However, when we look at the data, we do not see the expected result. Instead, we find that 95% of leading ID proponents are evangelical Christians or ECs, given that evangelical Christians do not even attain such high uh, densities in the South. We estimate that there is a 0.001% chance that the that this nearly one-to-one -one ratio of intelligent designs to um, evangelical Christians occurs naturally. Again, accepting the claim that ID is a science and not a religion, the only other inf uh, inference we can draw is a supernatural one. ID proponents are extremely careful to state their arguments in secular language, avoiding calls by many to declare the identity of the designer. When one looks at ID, it is clear that a creator must be present. However, the ID proponents are tight-lipped as to who that creator might be. If it's a Christian God, why not mention it? you think this would be important enough to at least be stated somewhere. This leads us to determine that the designer is not a Christian God, but if that's the case, then who is behind the controversy? Clearly, the FSM is behind it. Who else could influence such a an uniformly religious group of people to subscribe to the non-Christian, non-religious theory of ID? The FSM is notorious for just this type of mischievous inter intervention, and thus it can only be concluded that the FSM is behind the intentional design or yeah, intelligent design movement. Which makes sense when you think about it. Irrefutable proof. Some of the greatest thinkers of all time have dedicated their lives to proving the existence of God. Thomas Aquinas gave it his best shot and his writings have been confusing college freshmen ever since. Kurt Gödel used a proof that appears to have employed hieroglyphics. Unfortunately, no one can read hieroglyphics anymore, so we don't know if he was successful. Suffice to say, no one has managed to prove the existence of God, and as a result, intelligent design doesn't seem to be provable either. And that's what we find in the record, since intelligent design offers no hypothesis of its own, which is a requirement of science, it cannot be considered a scientific theory unless we can prove the existence of God. Just saying that a creator made the world when you haven't proven that there is a creator doesn't count. So it turns out that the scientific community has good reason to be skeptical of the theory of intelligent design. But ID proponents 
uh, rightfully claim error or conspiracy on the part of scientists. And there's and here's the hitch: there is no conspiracy, but there is a conspiracy. The truth that FSM is hidden all around us and he's left clues like Italian-style breadcrumbs to show us the path to his eternal noodliness. Eternal noodliness. He's in our language every time someone tells you to use your noodle. <laughs> You're unknowingly directing... They're unknowingly directing you to turn to him for guidance. And whenever someone talks about a conspiracy... They're just invoking the mischievous nature of him and his chosen people, the pirates. But language alone isn't undeniable proof for those skeptical scientists. Arguments based on language or useless against are useless against scientists since none of them have read a real book in years. <laughs> we need cold hard facts to begin. We will look at how the evolutionary scientists try to pick apart the work of ID scientists, men like Michael J. Behe, I think, I think. who argues in his, in his uh, seminal and frequently incoherent tome, Darwin's Black Box, The Biochemical Challenge to Evolution. The concept of irre irreducible complexity, somewhere toward the beginning, Behe makes the following damning statement by irre irreducibly complex, I mean a single system composed of several well-matched interacting parts that contribute to the basic function, wherein the, the, wherein the removal of any one of the parts causes the system to effectively cease functioning. Woo! Talk about complexity. Darwin's black box... The Biochemical Challenge to Evolution by Michael J. Behe, Free Press, 1996, page 39. Uh, now I lost my spot. Where'd it go? No, oh, sorry. Okay, I found it. He then goes to goes on to talk about evolutionary mechanisms and the emergence of some complex biochemical cellular systems. And other things that, let's face it, sound like mumbo-jumbo to layman and high school biology students. Same thing. But the point is that this is well-thought-out science, nearly irrefutable proof that Behe can talk like a scientist. While the evolutionists respond with computer simulations demonstrating that it is possible for irreducible complexity to evolve naturally, I would note that it is almost possible for me to use my computer to lead an entire army of samurai warriors against the greatest generals of their day. Call it a wash. Both sides have their points to make, but the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster proposes a simple answer that this is more likely, and immensely more plausible, which is that the Flying Spaghetti Monster is altering our science data in an effort to mislead us. Not, it's not the scientist's fault, for how could they know? The FSM is invisible and passes through normal matter with ease. While our theory may sound a lot like intelligent design, there are important differences between ID and FSMism. The most important being that they are wrong and we are right. <laughs> but we do not but we do have some things in common, and I think it's important that these are addressed. Like ID, we 
use a slightly non-conventional science method whereby we first define our conclusion and then gather evidence to support it. Not only does this allow for a more uh, congruous and fluid study, but it has to be said that research is much easier when you've... Somebody's firing up their jalopy outside. <laughs> And then gather, gather evidence to support it. Not only does this allow for a more congruous and fluid study, but it has to be said that research is much easier when you've already chosen your conclusion. In this regard, the ID, the ID proponents should be congruited for their ingenuity. Where before scientists were forced to grapple with unknowns for months or even years, they will now be able to simply choose a convenient conclusion and find evidence to support it. And to be completely honest, even though we share his new scientific methodology, the ID people must get the credit for developing it first. Perhaps one day soon, the intelligent design community too will be touched by his noodly appendage and join forces with the Pastafarians, which is what people call themselves if you believe in this religion. The time has never been better. Indeed, we live in exciting times when our non-conventional supernatural theories are finally get, uh, being given equal credence or credence as the natural or unbiased evidence-supported theories. We should all feel fortunate to be living in such open-minded times. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we have some proving to do. And we're going to go ahead and take a quick, quick bathroom break. Yeah, because we got to poop. Hey everyone, just wanted to take a second to let you know about our official podcast store at thecomcast.com. Go check it out today, everybody. We've got everything you can think of from t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, organic tote bags, and even drinkware like coffee mugs and craft beer glasses. Go check it out today at thecomcast.com. Now let's get back into the episode. And we're back. Hello, we are back. Yeah, we're back. Post emptying our bodies of our natural waste. In long term, sure, we had to defecate. All right, back to the book, everyone. Communion test. Abstract. While supernatural explanations provide a surprisingly irrefutable evidence that the flying spaghetti monster is one, present in the universe, and two, Actively using his noodly appendage to spread goodness and affordable nutrition to the true believers. And touch your lady biscuits. It is important to provide <laughs> quantifiable <laughs> evidence in support of our claims. You ever just sitting there in Cooteridge? Well, that is him. <laughs> or it's syphilis. <laughs> you shit up, please. <laughs> He created syphilis. Gosh, what a what a thing! What a guy! Oh, <laughs> syphilis coated pasta. <laughs> that sounds like a recipe for disaster. <laughs> Spaghetti and syphilis sauce. That's nasty. Meatballs on the side. <laughs> As such, we have devised a scientific test. 
as proof of his evidence. This test is both repeatable and easily verifiable by a third party, and the Church of the FSM encourages all doubters to use the following experimental evidence to prove that to themselves what we are already what we already know to be true. What's the what's the test? What's the test? It didn't say what the test was. <laughs> Background. It has been suggested that the com uh, sorry the commune commune the commune. <laughs> <clears throat> it has been suggested that the communion served by the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster will lead to better and more long lasting nutritional benefits than say the Christian communion through uh, de- through deductive reasoning. This can be taken to provide evidence of his noodliness. Method. As support for this thesis, we selected two subjects, people, of average height, weight, and intelligence. How do you know that they're that, that they're the same intelligence? No, no, that's why it said average. Mm. We then placed them on a 72-hour a fast in order to reduce outside factors. After 72 hours, one subject was given the Christian communion, consisting of a paper-thin wafer. The only subject, the other subject was given the FSM communion, consisting of a large portion of spaghetti and meatballs. Both subjects had their vitals recorded before and after communion. Upon completion of the test, the Christian was found to be listless with decreased heart rate, body temperature, and brain function. The Pasifarium recorded an increased heart rate, body temperature, and brain function, commenting that he felt full, which we interpreted to mean whole. That is, the FSM test subject was showing signs of his presence. So, so the FSM makes you feeling full of syphilis. <laughs> and meatballs. And meatballs. Can't forget the meatballs. Oh, yeah, you're right. I completely forgot about that. Addendum. Some may say that 1,200 calories of spaghetti versus 2 calories of wafer do not make a fair and valid experiment. And they may have a point. Although this is a supernaturally based study, it is important to highlight that noisy scientists want to see proof that their peers will support. Therefore, we agree to jump through a couple of hoops if that's what it's going to take to make them see his noodliness. We have sought to keep the experiment as close to a realistic communion setting as possible. But in the interest of science, we've devised an additional experiment whereby each subject receives the same total number of calories. Our findings were that the Christian became violently ill upon consuming 2,500 calories in wafers. <laughs> Jesus. Or 1,250 wafers. Probably due to the fact that communion wafers are basically made out of cardboard. True. While the Pastafarian continued to show increased vitals, thus illustrating his noodly presence. 1,250 fucking wafers? You know how they could improve communion? Instead of doing wafers, just do croutons. Just go get a bag from fucking Sam's Club and do croutons. Roasted garlic and Parmesan croutons. <laughs> yep. Texas toast. <laughs> Texas toast croutons. Here's your Texas toast. Texas toast style garlic herb body of Christ. Or you know what you could do? Damn, what? Jesus had crusty ribs. Crusty ribs. You could just get like day old bread from the store and then just do it yourself. Get you a couple loaves. You well, get one of those old ladies from the church to Jesus do it. Everybody knows Jesus didn't eat. That's why it tastes like a waver. 
It's like how fucking bland. Or or it could taste like sawdust because he was a carpenter. Good one. It's a theory. Could taste like a whore because he hung out with them. Hey, whores are nice too. They are. That's right. Good people. Good people. Good people. Unified spaghetti theory. The more we learn about the world among us, the more we see that life and the universe were created in his image. From in from interconnected forces on the grandest of scales down to matters tiniest bits, we see his noodliness in everything. To illustrate this, we have devised the following simple recipe. Life. Ingredients. Boiling water. Elementary particles made from string. Salt. Before the flying spaghetti monster made life, he had to first make the elementary particles that would eventually compose all matter as we know it. This was a very complicated process, but we have developed a much simpler method, one that can try one that you can try at home. First, take a piece of subatomic string, which naturally is just an incredibly small strand of wet spaghetti, so tiny that it cannot be seen by even the most powerful of microscopes. So everybody just Hold your finger out in front of your fucking face and pretend like you're holding a very tiny piece of spaghetti. That is literally, like, you can't even see it. Uh, Next, give the string a unique vibration. Now repeat. Giving even new string, giving each new string a different vibration so that it creates more unique particles. Congratulations. You have just created particles of matter. Be sure to collect the particles into a secure vessel for later use, a.k.a. a pasta jar. Now we are ready to make life. In order to recreate the steaming uh, primordial broth that originally spawned life, you must first bring your water to a heavy boil. Salt liberally. Now add your elementary particles and wait about an hour. Cooking time may vary. When you begin to see small spiral components forming, they will resemble fusilli. It's <laughs> a brand of pasta. Uh, a brand of pasta? It's a, a type of pasta, whatever. There you go. When they're ready, that means they're all... <laughs> when they're ready, that means they're almost done. They're almost there. Remember not to drain the water. Now apply intense overhead heat for about an hour or possibly several million years. Continue boiling and applying intense overhead heat. Eventually, you will begin to see small organisms appearing in your broth. Give yourself a pat on the back. You created life. A careful review of the evidence shows clearly that life was generated from the simplest piece of pasta. Pagan scientists have misidentified it as strings. And that all life has since radiated to more or less resemble his image but the spaghetti deity didn't stop there. In fact, science tells us that the universe itself is composed of nothing more than an enormous matrix of strings vibrating to their own noodly music, forming a single, unified, coherent framework of uh, invisible spaghetti. In short, it's all one eternal bowl of pasta. More attentive readers will note that we failed to address the image of man, while other religions make the claim that humans were created in God's image and they are nearly correct in this assumption, 
They are guilty of using reverse logic to reach his conclusion. What they don't discern is that we were created in his ideal image, that of the pirate. Since then, we've only come to resemble other people's gods. It is important that we return to the ways of the pirate before it's too late, in fact. Recent scientists suggest that our departure from the pirate's way has led us towards a previously unforeseen end. As our brains and bodies grow in size, and as machines, for example motorized wheelchairs, replace the need for physical strength and agility, we may find ourselves the victims of an ironic twist of creation. If current trends persist, the day may come when people of the future actually do resemble his image. This illustration may be created by a scientist. Uh, this illustration, which was created by a scientist, may help. With this evidence in mind, we suggest that you get yourself an eye patch and become a Pasifarian before it's too late. In the future, mankind looks like a Mr. Potato Head with noodle arms and legs. And then uh, goes on in the book with pictures of bacteria and. Uh, like primitive life under a microscope and how they resemble noodles. More evidence. The majority of proofs of his existence appear to come from scientists and scientists appear in large part to come from uh, colleges and universities. Therefore, we thought it would prove enlightening to look more closely at these institutes of higher learning and try to find some evidence of his noodly appendage at work. We came up with some interesting results. Life on campus. It is well known that college students are our best hope for the future. See every college graduation speech through time. These, <laughs> these intrepid... Intrepid? Yeah, intrepid, yeah. These intrepid individuals are willing to pay thousands of dollars of their parents' money to just read books. So it goes without saying that learning is very important to them. But what exactly are they learning? If you examine the research of this subject, you will see that while many students do in fact spend time reading books of knowledge, they also spend equal or greater amounts of time drinking beer. You may ask what beer has to do with learning, and many doubters will argue that there's no link whatsoever. But we have uncovered some surprising evidence for the benefits of beer consumption. Beer acts as an important nutritional supplement to the college student, but that's not really important. Beer also known as Grog, is also the official beverage of pirates, who are his chosen people. With that in mind, we ask you, could the flying spaghetti monster be behind this? Is he trying to turn college students back into pirates? Furthermore, it's an accepted fact that there are an uncanny amount of ramen noodles and dried pastas on college campus campuses, which provide cheap nutrition for students, thus allowing them to afford more beer. This points yet another finger at the Flying Spaghetti Monster's influence. Clearly, he is at work in our institutions of higher learning, and this can only bode well for the country's future. And they have a picture of money is the next... So they have a picture of a dollar bill, and it says dollar bills, y'all. Dollars! Um, money. College costs money. A lot. Yet <laughs> education in itself is not of much value. For example, we can look to the general public's almost complete disregard for anything that educated people have to say about global warming, shrinking oil reserves, po pollution, or the threat of nuclear annihilation. 
But if this is true, why does something as wor worthless as a college diploma cost so much money? To understand this question, we examine the unique and often bizarre relationship between college and money, and our research led us to an interesting finding. It appears that a college education has been given an artificially high price tag in order to leave students with little money left over for the basic requirements of living. Burdened by poverty, students are induced to drink cheap beer and eat pasta. In short, they are forced to act like pirates and pastafarians. Mm -hmm. And they can only conclude that this is we can only conclude that this is some part of his greater plan to spread FSMism. If the students truly are our future, so it would appear is pastafarianism. Did you eat a lot of pasta in college? Somewhat. We didn't. I didn't. I don't really like ramen. So, and well, I, I didn't have, say ramen. Well, if we ate pasta, it was like cheap mac and cheese. We didn't really eat a lot of spaghetti or anything. We ate some, but I had a pasta cooker from Pampered Chef that I could just throw in my microwave. Jeez, money bags, Pampered Chef. My mom gave it to me for Christmas. Well, that's good. No, mm -hmm. I didn't like. I didn't eat a lot of ramen. We had some. No, mainly I would get those big fat ass burritos from the Dollar Tree, and I would eat the shit out of those. Jeez. I would also get the big, um, the big bowl of soup from Dollar Tree. I don't Do you never got a big bowl of soup? From really? Yeah. It, so it, I would eat those. It was like ramen, but it was in a big cup like this. Uh, I remember like the big wide bowls. No, this one was tall, yeah. like half a popcorn. Dang, that's fucking crazy. Yeah, bro. container, and it was like a, it was a dollar. So I would eat those too sometimes. What did I eat? I ate a lot of ramen and a lot of Cheez-Its. And a lot of freak. We had a Mexican place on campus. Every day, fucking get nachos. They smell like leftover soggy Taco Bell nachos, but they were good. They tasted better. That's where they got their meat from. Probably, dude. Taco Bell has the meats, not Arby's. They have the meat, even if it is horse meat. Yep. Next chapter. Kiwi birds, flightless? Evolutionists contend that flightless birds, for example, the kiwi bird of New Zealand, never developed the ability to fly. They are cute, though. They are. The old argument goes that, having no natural predators in the area, there was never a reason to evolve the ability. While I agree that I've never seen a kiwi bird fly, I disagree with the statement that they can't fly. How do we know? Could it have just be that uh, they choose not to? You'll never see me running, but there's a good chance I could. They don't even have <laughs> wings, do they? Yeah, but they're kind of like penguins. Kiwi birds, besides being completely spherical, are very known to be one of nature's laziest animals. Consider the speed with which they are going extinct. It is almost as if they are trying to get eaten. I contend, then, that they can fly, but simply lack the proper motivation. So, to settle the debate once and for all, I've devised an experiment that any evolutionist may carry out in an attempt to prove me wrong. Dump truck over a cliff. You will need a large, uh, you will need as large a sample size as possible for this experiment as some kiwis are bound to be lazier than others. 20 to 30 is probably sufficient. But it's better to err, err on the side of caution of too many if you have a sufficient supply. Load the birds into a back of a truck and proceed to the highest cliff available. We want to give them as much motivation to fly as possible. After backing the truck to the edge of the cliff, incline the bed and 
and climbed the bed and dumped the birds over the edge. I suspect the, that the birds seeing their fate rushing towards them as terminal velocity throwing terminal velocity will flap their useless wings and fly to safety. Throwing them out of an airplane might work better. In addition, perhaps a kiwi bird sitting in a blender would be motivated to fly out before, before the switch is thrown. They're literally literally just talking about getting as many kiwi birds that are extinct as you can and dumping Are them over a fucking. Extinct? They're going extinct. Oh, I was like, I didn't, I didn't think kiwi birds were. Extinct when this book yet. was being written, they were going extinct. But this book is like over a decade old, so it might they might not be going extinct anymore. But if they are still extinct, this would not be the best way to see if they could fly. Until such time as this experiment is carried out or one similar to it, I will consider my hypothesis to be correct. So since nobody's going to murder a bunch of kiwis, you can't prove that. This theory's wrong. It says kiwis are not going extinct. Okay, well, this theory might, this this hypothesis might be some kind of test you could carry out. Explaining pastafarianism. Seventy percent of kiwi chicks are killed by cats. Really? Yeah. That makes sense. Explaining pastafarianism. Man cannot live by bread alone. Moses. Deuter- Deuteronomy thirteen seven. Deuteronomy. Is that a is that a book in the Bible? Yeah. What does it mean? Deuteronomy? Yeah. I don't know. I just know it's fucking the Bible. Sounds like a bro book. A condensed history of the world. 5,000 years ago, the oh. beginning. It means what? second law. Second law? Mm-hmm. 5,000 years ago, the beginning. The flying spaghetti monster created the universe in a bunch of planets, including Earth. No one except himself was around to see it, but we expect it was rather dull. The initial creation obviously must have been spectacular, but he then spent the ten, the next 10 to 100 years painstakingly preparing the universe to appear older than it actually is. Photons were placed individually en route to Earth, ostensibly emitting millions of years ago, or emitted millions of years ago, from stars across the galaxy. In real, in reality, we know that each photon was uh, divinely placed and redshifted approximately to make the universe appear to be billions of years old. The universe appears to be expanding, much like cooked pasta, as illustrated by observed light from distance, distant galaxies shifting towards the marinara spectrum. Some scientists cite that this is a support for his preference for red sauce. But they are most likely idiots. Uh, We are still finding his camouflage methods at work today. Each time scientists discover apparent evidence of a billions of years old universe, we can be assured that this is just more elaborate preparation he put in place. Earth was created in approximately 0.062831853 seconds and was similarly disguised to appear much older. We can be certain that the FSM spent even more time preparing the Earth because being all-knowing, he was well aware that soon enough there would be noisy people poking around everywhere known as scientists. These nosy people have a sick need, probably sexually motivated, to figure out how things work, and so it was even more important that our apparent reality be well designed to hide the truth. As evidence of sexual motivation on the part of scientists, 
Let's choose an occupation at random. Say genealogy. These are so-called professional. These so-called professionals spend their entire lives looking at female sex organs or poontang, as it's known in genealogy. <laughs> Never mind gynecology. Sorry, I was about to say that's not right. Yeah. Okay. Gynecology. They, these so-called professionals. Uh, spend their entire lives looking at female sex organs or poontang, as it's known. <laughs> as it's Say known, it again. poontang. <laughs> what you doing over there, girl? With that poontang. I've never heard it called poontang. You ever seen that movie, Pooty Tang? No. <laughs> you never seen that movie? No. We gotta watch it. We're not watching Pooty Tang. I recommend everybody watching the movie Pooty Tang. <laughs> Jesus. As it's known in academic circles. Oh, holy FSM. Look, look a little look a little deeper into the fold and you will find <laughs> that nearly 99% of all gynecologists have a scientific background. To illustrate just I how, wonder why. To illustrate just how significant that that is, pick another group of random say my uh, no, no, uh, sorry. Pick another group at random say myself. I'm not a scientist and I hardly ever see female sex, or, sex organs. I find it hard to believe that this is just a coincidence. I'm not saying all scientists are perverts, but I think it's but safe to say that perverts. nearly all of them are. <laughs> Our noodly creator then placed fossils hidden under the Earth's surface, knowing that they would later be found, thus seemingly proving that these creatures existed some time ago. Dinosaur bones, for example, were placed so well that in such numbers... And in such numbers that it's widely believed dinosaurs roamed the earth millions of years ago. Interestingly, dinosaurs did exist, but not millions of years ago. Because, of course, how could they have existed before the earth was even there? In reality, they lived with us, alongside and occasionally on top of humans around 3,000 years ago. Hmm. You may wonder why we find no bones from dinosaurs from this era. And rightly so, but keep in mind that the dinosaurs don't actually have bones. The dinos the whole dinosaurs had the whole dinosaurs had bones thing is an is all an elaborate hoax planned for his own divine amusement. Real dinosaurs, as any enlightened paleontologist or bone doctor, as they prefer to be called, will tell you, were able to stand erect by engorging selected muscles with blood making the once flaccid limb rigid by alternating which muscles were engorged in the correct sequence a very effective locomotion and rudimentary skeletal structure was achieved perverted readers may recognize that this mechanism is similar to what happens to the male penis Dinosaurs were, in essence, not much more than a massive collection of penises, or peni, under a, <laughs> under a thick skin. While very few accurate descriptions of these creatures have existed into present times, we can ble be pleased to learn that awareness of them has propagated gener uh, generationally in our culture. Most men don't even realize... That when they exaggerate the size of their penis, referring to it as monstrous or dinosaur-like, they are helping to keep alive the hidden truth of the strange and horny beasts we know as dinosaurs. 
Sometime later, as society progressed, the attention of mankind moved away from dinosaurs. By now, they had been conquered and placed under the control of men for work and play. And instead, man turned to philosophical thought. The question of our origins came up, and it was decided based on the apparent nature evidence, natural evidence that all creatures had evolved from a common ancestor over time some millions of, some millions of years ago. 2,500 years ago. The Golden Age of Pirates. What happened next is still a mystery. Mankind up until this time had been successfully duped by the FSM, wrongly believing that natural explanations could explain our origins. One would think that the FSM himself would be pleased by his as he had gone, uh, be, be pleased by this as he had gone to uh, so much trouble Disguising his creation work. His creation work. But for whatever reason, he felt the need to expose the truth to us. This was, a, this was the day some 2,500 years ago that he first revealed his newly appendage to us, showing us the way. From this point on, those who accepted his message knew that we were to live a certain way on the water in great wooden ships, loaded with grog, swag, and hopefully wenches. This was Wench. this was his will, and so it was done. Unfortunately, many of the details from this era are lost to us, possibly because many ships sank due to overloading. Swag is very heavy, and these, the first Postafarians, showing less than one hundred percent perfect judgment, having drunk too much grog. What we do know, though, is that this was the golden age of pirate lifestyle. Millions, possibly hundreds of pirate ships roamed the world's oceans and maybe lakes, searching for a good time, spreading joy, and maybe VD to whomever they came into contact with. What we're told of pirates in history books today is blatantly wrong. Thieves and outcasts, they were not. These were his chosen people, the ones who listened and followed his divine plan, whatever it was. The commonly propagated myth that pirates were thieves can be traced unsurprisingly to the Christian theologists of the Middle Ages. It's just another example of the discrimination and misinformation that we've had to contend with over the years, and another reason Pastafarians have been so secretive about their beliefs. Regardless of the lies told about them, the, the first Pastafarians were peace-loving explorers and spreaders of goodwill, not bloodthirsty criminal pirates. In fact, they were well known to distribute candy to passing children, thus establishing what is known now as Halloween. Hmm. Of course it was... That's not true. I know. <laughs> of course it was not all good... How dare you say that's not true? <laughs> huh, huh, that's interesting. <laughs> of course it was not all good times. Not everyone was a believer, and some rejected his word and felt the need to go out on the ocean in their own, probably lame, ships and pick fights with the Pastafarians. Most notable was Noah, a biblical fame who slapped together a monstrous barge made of wood and whatever else was probably uh, whatever else was around, probably dirt. Who knows? Go for wood. <laughs> Noah, well known for his love of animals, always had plenty around. Perverted coveting. <laughs> so when he found himself with a lack of building materials, he decided to use hundreds of defenseless 
animals as ballast, mainly the slowest, dumbest, and most dense that he could come across. It's not known exactly what occurred during the first during this time of Noah and the pirates, but enough historical texts have survived through the years to get a rough picture of the events that transpired. Noah alone, except for his animal ba animals slash ballast, propelled by jealousy and maybe a group of talking seals, set forth in search of the Postafarians. Unfortunately for Noah, he found one of the most badass pirate ships around and started talking way too much smack. The Postafarians, being above all peaceful and maybe drunk, ignored his verbal abuse. It was only when Noah, ever the dick, physically attacked the Postafarian ship by hurling from his bow the pointiest of animals that the Postafarians took notice. Possibly these were porcupines. <laughs> also, some scholars believe that Noah might have hurled stab rabbits as stab rabbits. a since extinct species of rabbit possessing weapon-like points all over its body. Despite their love of sex, the stab rabbits ultimately went extinct because they could not bring themselves to go through with copulation. The pain being too great, much like modern day men who are married to fatties. Wow. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> what? That's insane. Okay. <clears throat> Yet again, trigger warning. Uh, I already gave it. I don't have to give it again. They they don't have to listen to this. What about? Hmm. I already gave it. Okay. I don't have to give it anymore. Yeah, I hear you. We are told that the largest, scariest of Postafarians swam or maybe just jumped from ship to ship. They were that powerful and confronted Noah. Immediately seeing the error of his ways, Noah offered some turtles or something as a way of apologizing. The Pasifarians, probably having plenty of their own turtles, said no deal and proceeded to intimidate the bejesus out of Noah. Giant ones for the turtles were giant ones for riding. We don't know exactly what was said, but it's clear that Noah wet himself to such an extent that even Christians associate him with the Great Flood. Although they have wisely developed another description of events. Needless to say, he never mistreated animals again, not even chickens, who are pretty much asking for it. There are no mentions of pirates or grog, and only a few of wenches in the Christian Bible. 1700 to today. A pasta and pirates. For centuries after that, no one messed with the pirates. And the natural order of things was kept in balance. Although Swag and Grog sent many a ship to the bottom of the sea, losing important historical documentation in the process, the pirates lived a life of peace and merriment, spreading his word as far as places like Belgium. They continued to celebrate Halloween and during the last two months of every year, took time off from sailing and the, and the seas to relax and spend time with their families during their most holiest time of holiday. Today, promotions of this period are known as various holidays. Christmas, Ch uh, Chanuka, what is it? Chanuka? Kwanzaa, and others. Uh, Chanuka? Beats me. Hold on. Okay. And others. You want to spell it? Oh, is, is it Hanukkah? Does Hanukkah start with a C? 
Because if it does, I always thought it was an H. It is an H. Is it a silent C? Spell it out. C-H-A-N-U-K-A-H. A-N-K-A-U-H. A-N-U-K-A-H. C-H-A-N. Yeah. U-K-A-H. I always thought Hanukkah was spelled with an H, not a C. Is it spelled with a C? It's spelled both ways. Okay. Uh, Hanukkah and Kwanzaa and others, except at Walmart, where it is still considered a holiday, as in Happy Holiday and Welcome to Walmart. But there were dark storms on the horizon and the pirates did not know what evil awaited them. Convinced of the inherent evil of pirates, uh, Hari Krishnas, who are descended from ninjas, banded together at various seaports and declared a holy war against the pirates. And later at airports. And later at airports. By, by tens of thousands, maybe even dozens, they boarded steel-plated kayaks and paddled out in search of pirates, whom they intended to annihilate from the four corners of the earth. You might think that the FSM would have noticed the Hari Krishnas and protected his chosen people, but he mistook the Krishnas for just another musical band of seagoing beggars, or maybe fishermen singing their shanties. And he let them and he let them pass unharmed. As the first Krishnas arrived at a pirate ship on Halloween, the pirates mistook them for an overly dedicated trick trick-or-treaters. What followed next was mass slaughter as the pirates tried to pass out treats while the Christians beat and sliced them to death with their double-bladed kayak paddles. Sadly, this pattern was repeated several times that day. The next year was even worse. Eventually, the pirates retreated to hidden coves where they could keep a lookout for the bloodthirsty Krishna bastards. <laughs> was there something in the Krishna's singing that blinded the pirates to their evil? We may never know. And while mainstream education tells us that pirates were hunted down because they were thieves, killers, etc., this is largely a misinformation campaign propagated by the Krishnas and many of the other religions that banded together to begin their systematic assault on the pirates' worship of the FSM. Hunted nearly to extinction, the pirates were indeed quite pissed off for several centuries, and the textbooks reveal every detail of the looting and pillaging but are suspiciously quiet about the fact that pirates were well known for passing out candy to children. If you ever read, if you, if you ever read a pirate textbook, you think they were Jesus. The sad truth is that the other religions were jealous of the pirates and their happy lifestyles. It's that simple. Thankfully for the pirates, the attacks eventually slowed down and then nearly stopped altogether as the other religions inevitably turned against one another which is where we find ourselves today. While it is becoming common knowledge that declining pirate numbers are a direct result of religious persecution, what is not yet known is what happened to the remaining pirates and where they are located. Sadly, many pirates simply hid their treasures, gave away their giant turtles, and retired, moving to places like Ireland. Most Celtic artwork resembles the FSM. See, illustrated, see illustration below. Uh, which leads us to believe that many pirates simply became druids. Also, there is a striking similarity between midgets and leprechauns. And, ironically, India. Possibly believing that all the Hare Krishnas have moved to California. 
Others hit out in the Straits of Malaysia, while some form well-known sports franchises. Uh, what is little? What is little known about our mystical forerunners is that the addition to hi- in addition to hiding treasure, pirates sought to conceal their religious texts. In fact, the treasure was included largely to ensure that others would go out and look for these documents. Uh, in the future, during most uh, tolerant times. Sorry, yeah, to go look for these documents in the future during more tolerant times. On this count, the pirates were widely successful as there are still treasure hunters searching for ancient pirate loot. Unfortunately, many of our original texts have been lost as they're... Also known as booty. (laughs) Unfortunately, many of uh, our original texts have been lost as their importance was overlooked by mistake and... By being mistaken for recipes in some cases. And this is a fine example of Celtic, Pasifarian, Pirate, Christian craftsmanship. I don't know how it's supposed to look like pasta, but they say it does. Key moments in FSM history. They say that a picture is worth a thousand words. And since we're well into the book now and tired, we thought it would be helpful to provide some key moments in Pasifarianism Photoshop style. And you can clearly tell that they're photoshopped. So they have uh, a cave, uh, like a hieroglyphic cave painting of a, a a person hunting kangaroos with a pasta with a flying spaghetti monster in the back. There is uh, Egyptian hieroglyphs with um with, with the flying spaghetti monster in the back. They photoshopped in. There is they have a picture of the Great Wall of China. And they said that it's meant to resemble his noodley appendages. And the where the where the Great Wall of China on a map where it splits into the body, they're saying that's the body of of the FSM. They have uh like the Michelangelo painting of the guy on the cloud, the naked dude on the cloud with his nutsack David? hanging out. Yeah, David. David on the cloud with his nutsack hanging out, and he has him touching hands with the flying spaghetti monster. His nutsack hanging out. His nutsack is hanging out. Well, he's naked. A lot of other ones. Um, The moon landing. He's in the moon landing. He's helping. uh, He's uh, he's helping Benjamin Franklin discover electricity and helping uh, the forefathers write the Declaration of Independence. I mean, he's everywhere. He's Mm -hmm. everywhere. And then I we can go ahead and I'll continue on. There's this last little chapter that we can read through real quick and then we'll go ahead and end it there. So Bobby Henderson answers the big questions. What sort of pasta is the flying spaghetti monster made of? Wheat? Semolina? There's some debate about this. Uh, Western culture contending he is wheat-based while in the East they believe He's made of rice or buckwheat. We don't know the truth, and maybe we're not meant to. Question. Why do modern-day pirates pirates, uh, sports teams called pirates, quote-unquote, and pirate costumes not affect global weather, given that there is a statistically significant link between pirate numbers and global temperature? Answer. Calling oneself a pirate or dressing up as one does not make one a true pirate. It takes much more in what way uh, are modern-day pirates. With their speedboats and machine guns similar to the fun-loving adventurous buccaneers from history, how can a sports team 
How can sports teams, with their obsession over rules and regulations, claim to embody the mischievous spirit of the pirate? Dressing up as a pirate comes closer, and we can sometimes see an effect on weather. Halloween pirates, for example, are at least trying to emulate true pirate behavior, sometimes with important details such as wenches and grog. We can see solid evidence that they are indeed making a difference on weather patterns, the several months following Halloween are always colder than the several preceding it, just as the pirates' temperature casual pirates' temperature casual relationship predicts. Talk uh, like a pirate day, which there is a dot com to that, is another good example of how acting like a pirate can influence the weather. Every September nineteenth, millions, if not thousands, <laughs> millions, if not thousands. A people communicate and pirates speak a subtle nod to their creator and a conscientious effort to curb global warming and with great success since its creation several years ago the temperature on september 19th each year has been colder than on the day i picked scientifically at random july 10th <laughs> without <laughs> exception just a coincidence unlikely Question, how do you reconcile the glaring inconsistencies and contradictions in the FSM religion? Answer, first, all of these seeming flaws were carefully put in place by him to test his followers' faith. Second, a certain amount of inconsistency is necessary for a religion to become widespread, for example, Christianity, Islam, and so on. Question, if the FSM is benevolent, why do bad things happen to good people? Answer, they may have angered him. Or it could be that he is too busy or indifferent for whatever reason to get involved. He works in mysterious ways that we are not always able to understand. Question. Does he hear my prayers? Answer. Yes. But that is not to say they will necessarily be answered. To increase your odds, it's recommended that you wear pirate regalia or at least an eye patch. Question. Are, there other, are the other religions wrong? Answer, no, they just they are just misguided. We accept converts from other religions with open arms. Question, what about atheists and the followers of other religions, heathens? Uh, followers of other religions, heathens, will these people go to hell? No, but they may not be allowed into the best areas of FSM heaven. The safest thing to do is to convert now. Think of it as think of it this way. If you convert to Pasifarianism and the FSM turns out to not exist, nothing is lost. On the other hand, if you don't convert and the FSM does exist, then you have to be uh, you you then you have just been royally screwed. Question: If there's a beer volcano and stripper factory in heaven, what's FSM hell like? We're not entirely certain, but we imagine it's similar to FSM Heaven, only the beer is stale and the strippers have venereal disease, not unlike Las Vegas. Question, are there male strippers in FSM Heaven for women? Answer, probably, but they are invisible to the non-homo guys. Question, your religion, quote-unquote, offends my probably Christian beliefs. Answer, that's not a question. <laughs> question, your religion, quote-unquote, offends my beliefs. What should I do about feeling mocked? Answer. Our alternative beliefs are in no way mocking your beliefs more than yours mocks ours. FSM believers are peaceful, open-minded, well-educated, and reject dogma outright. 
We've never started a war and have never killed others for their opposing beliefs. Compare our record to yours. Question. Where does the FSM exist? Answer. We're not exactly sure because he's invisible most of the time and rarely makes his presence known. Prayers don't seem to reach him until well after they're prayed. This leads us to believe that there is some sort of time uh, dilation effect. Plus, some uh, so many prayers are offered to him, and not even he wouldn't have time to hear them all without a time dilation effect. For this reason, we suspect he spends a great deal of time orbiting a black hole. Question. Does the FSM have a sense of humor? Answer. We can see the FSM's sense of humor by looking at the way he deals with other religions. Consider how often evangelical Christians, those who ostensibly promote peace are aligned with promote, uh, pro-war groups. Clearly, this is the work of the FSM bringing together opposites. If there was no divine influence, the conflict of interest would be obviously to both groups that they can't see it smacks... Sorry. Uh, that they can't see it smacks of noodly interference. Hmm. All right, everybody. That is the second reading of the Gospel of the Flying Spaghetti Monster, we have made it to page 67, which is a pretty good dent in two episodes. We're we're almost, if not halfway there already. So I think we might be able to wrap up in the next couple episodes, hopefully. So that would be actually really cool uh, to make it just four episodes. So we appreciate all of you so much for tuning in today. We I really hope you liked... The last reading, I hope you liked this one. Like I said, it's a trigger warning, and you're more than welcome to skip over it. And if you already skipped over it, well, you know what? You're not even going to listen to it. <laughs> so thank you all so much for tuning in today. Go and get some of the Shady Neighbor from Ono Valley Winery. If you're not in the area, or if you know where Spencer, Indiana is, or if you're close, just go... Um, it's, put it in Google Maps. Put it in Google Maps. Find out how far away it is. It's definitely worth a day trip. There's also a lot of fun things in Spencer, Indiana. You there's can even, brewery. There's a brewery. There's all kinds of other culture and history there. CJ's Pizza is in Owen County. <laughs> there is a, um, uh, what is it? The um, Spencer Pride like office? Scho- charity? I'm not sure what the office is. But they have a, they have a Spencer organization. Organization. They have a Spencer Pride organization office that's headquartered in 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 town on the square. A couple of really good coffee shops. It's just a tiny little farm town, everybody. So don't expect to spend the entire day there. It's a little gem. But I highly recommend the Shady Neighbor by Owen Cali uh, Owen Owen Valley Winery. Sorry. Um, it's Amen. A very, <laughs> it's a very cool. It's a very cool winery. So we hope you all enjoyed the episode. Um, Right now, Ryan and I are soaking up the sun in Florida. So and Cheyenne's at home. And Cheyenne's by at home. By her, well, uh, yeah. Cheyenne's Wish- at home with a very large guard dog. Uh- <laughs> oh, yeah. And two guard cats. And two guard cats. So we hope you all enjoyed it. We'll see you all next time. And remember, when life gets hard and life gets you down, you read a, read a good book, you drink a good beer, and milk that pig, everybody. Peace. We out. We out. <laughs> we out. We out. We, we snaw. We... <laughs> what would the FSM do? Huh? <laughs> Wiggle his appendages. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>